Hey Seacoast, want to welcome you to church this weekend. My name is Josh Surratt, I'm the lead pastor here at Seacoast Church and we are glad that you are with us. Also want to welcome all of you that are joining us at one of our locations here in South Carolina or North Carolina, uh, or maybe you're joining us on the internet. We are so glad to have you with us this weekend. You know, if you've been at Seacoast very long, you've probably heard us talk about our heart for church planting. We love to plant new churches. This weekend, through the church planting organization that we're a part of called The Ark, we're planting three brand new churches. We're planting City Hills Church in Ashburn, Virginia, The Move Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and Lifesong Church, the East Campus at Worcester, Massachusetts. So if you know somebody that lives in those areas, or maybe you're joining us online from one of those areas, know that there's a brand new church plant in, those, in, in that city. And we're excited about that this weekend. You know, every time you give money at Seacoast, a percentage of that goes towards church planting. And so I wanna just say thank you. Thank you for being generous and helping us plant brand new churches all around the country. Speaking of church planting, about a year and a half ago, Seacoast planted Front Range Christian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Pastor Ernest Smith, who is a good friend of mine, was a part of our staff for a long time. It wasn't long after Ernest got to Colorado that he said, Josh, there's something cool happening here. There's a kind of a neighboring movement that's going on where everyone's just trying to learn how to be great neighbors. And he said, you really need to meet Dave Runyon. Dave Runyon is the co-author of The Art of Neighboring, which is the book that helped inspire this series. Dave served as a pastor for nine years at Foothills Community Church and, and then the Next Level Church. Then in 2010, Dave led a neighboring movement in Denver that ultimately led to him writing the book. He, he literally wrote the book on neighboring. So we made some phone calls and tried to find out if Dave really was a good neighbor. Uh, actually, we didn't. Uh, we, we know Dave is a great neighbor. And we just asked him to join us this week and I wanted him to share some of his journey what he's learned along the way of trying to just take Jesus at his word and, and become a good neighbor. So Seacoast, would you help me welcome Dave Runyon? Give him a warm Seacoast welcome as he joins us this weekend. Good morning, Seacoast. Good morning to all of you out there and all the various campuses here. So I'm really excited to be here. And I'm really grateful to you and to a lot of the, the pastors and leadership here. Um, Denver is an interesting place, to say the least. And when I say that, I don't know what pops into your head. Um, maybe like something about recent laws that were passed there. Uh, but um, it's unique. I love my city, but it's a really, really tough place to plant a church. And... I am so grateful for how open-handed this church is um, and for what's happened through Front Range and through Ernest and his leadership. Uh, there's never been a church plant that has been as successful this early in our community. And so I don't know how much you're aware of what's happened there. I joke with Ernest, I'm like, this isn't even a church plant. You like have instant church. Church plants are supposed to struggle and it's supposed to be a grind and painful. Um, and that's not what's happened there. It has been fruitful. And I'm now using the Seacoast story and the Front Range Church story to, to point to other planners around the country and to say, listen, this can happen here. This can happen. And so the, the fruit and the investment of this church and the impact that it's having in my community is really, really significant and it's a big deal. And so I just, from all of us in Denver, um, I just wanna say thank you. And thank you for, yeah. 
So I've been listening in, kind of eavesdropping on you over the last three weeks as we've been in this series, uh, Like a Good Neighbor, and I'm excited to be here today and to wrap it up and to be able to share a little bit of my journey with you. As Josh mentioned, I was a pastor for about 10 years in the Denver metro area. I worked at two great churches, but something happened to me that um, changed the trajectory of my life. I I basically got obsessed with this one uh, part of scripture. And I think sometimes that can be a good thing, and sometimes that can be a really unhealthy thing, but I, I was reading through the Gospel of John, and I got to the last recorded prayer of Jesus while he's a free man. It's found in John chapter 17. And in that chapter, he prays for himself, for what he's getting ready to go through. He prays for the disciples, and then he prays for all of us. And he prays for every believer alive at that time, and then every believer to come. And his prayer is that we would be one. He says, may they, may believers, be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer for all of us is a prayer for unity. And he says, he doesn't just pray for unity for the sake of unity. He prays for unity. And then he says that when there's unity among his people, that people that don't know God in some beautiful, sacred, mystical way get sucked towards him. And I started staring at that prayer and thinking to myself, like, what if that's actually true? And I started thinking about all the different things that I was involved in started to dream about what would happen if in one specific part of a city, in a community, that that kingdom-minded people began to stack hands and say, we are on the same team. And if that happened, would would people that don't know God begin to be drawn towards him? So I started to share that dream with some of my friends, some of the other lead pastors in, in my part of the city. And a number of us started to get really excited about this idea. And we decided that, that we should all stack hands and that we should go out and begin to serve in our city, in our community together. And then we had this like horrifying thought that we actually didn't know what the smartest thing that we should be doing is, right? If we were all gonna like combine all these different resources, all of this different energy towards something in our community, we should probably pick like the smartest thing to do. And since we didn't know that, we started to reach out and meet with different civic leaders, different people that God has put in authority in our community. And so we would reach out and, and have these little meetings with just these lead pastors and then the, the police chief and the city manager. And about six and a half years ago, I'm sitting in a room with our mayor and with these different lead pastors from around our city. And we would always ask these civic officials a couple of things. We'd say, number one, what's your dream for our city? And number two, if you could take a magic wand and change something about our community um, for, the, for the common good, what would you change? And every time we asked that second question, we would just like start writing whatever they said because we're trying to find that thing. And so we're sitting in this room and our mayor is, is there and there's 22 of us. And we said, hey, what's, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you do? And he had this little piece of paper. We told him that we would, we, like the only way we got him to come is like we told him what we were gonna ask him first promised him that we weren't going to do anything weird to him. And then, so he's got this piece of paper, he pulls it out, and he starts reading down the line. And it, it was great stuff. He said, I want to live in a, in a city where there's no elderly shut-ins. I want to live in a city where there's no at-risk kids, where there's no single moms living below the poverty line. I want to live in a city where there's no financial debt. And there was like 11 things. They were all really, really good. 
And he took that little piece of paper and he folded it up and he put it in his back pocket. And then just in passing, very innocently, he said, you know, if you guys wanted to have the biggest impact in this community, you should start some kind of neighboring movement. And then he was just going to kind of go on. We're like, whoa, what? He said, yeah, you know, we're, we're just learning that the closer people are in relationship based on proximity, the less weight there is on all the systems that we're trying to manage to help people in need. He went on to say that the, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just become a community of people who are great neighbors. Now, I want to take you into that room. I want you to imagine what it feels like when you have 22 people in a room who make their living helping people live out the text. Imagine what it feels like when God uses your mayor to tell you that the smartest thing you can do is what Jesus said matters most. If you can't imagine what that feels like, let me just tell you, you ever like, had like a gut punch and then you're like, whoa, I, I kind of needed to hear that? One of those sacred moments, it, it was incredibly embarrassing and convicting. And we all kind of knew, we're like, we're like something, this isn't just a coincidence. He went on to, to say this, he said this beautiful line. He said, he said, what my friends and I are learning at the local government level is that relationships always trump programs. He talked about uh, one of the programs that they had uh, gotten funding to do this thing with elderly shut-ins and they, they had gone and started this big program and then after two years, all the funding ran out. He said that they watched as all those people that they were serving, that their lives went back to the old normal, except for the ones who were being cared for by literal neighbors. So as he's sharing all of this, all these kind of different uh, things are boiling up inside of us, and we pray for him that day, and then we leave. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget driving home from that meeting that day. I'm driving back into my suburban neighborhood, and there's a couple thoughts running through my mind. The first is this. Jesus is smart. Is it possible that when Jesus is asked to boil the entire text down to one thing, is it possible that he's given us a simple strategic plan that would literally change the world overnight? If the people that call themselves followers of him actually did it. And the second thought I had was this. I realized I'm driving back in, I'm seeing these houses of all these people I live around, I'm realizing I'm not currently doing it. I was involved in a lot of really good things. I was sitting on the board of three different nonprofits. I was throwing outreach events as a staff member at the church that I was a part of. I was helping people try to figure out their marriages and their life with their kids. But for some reason, somehow, I had figured out how to make my life work and, and without being intentional at all with the people who live right around me. And I went inside my house that day and I told my wife Lauren what had happened and we made a decision. We were just gonna try to do like a one-year experiment, try to, to just say no to a few things to be a little bit more present in our neighborhood and then just to, to take the next step through any doors that opened up. 
And that one-year experiment was six years ago, and it's still going, and it's totally messed up my entire life <laughs> in a really, really good way. And I'll come back. I want to tell you a little bit about that. But I want to tell you what happened to this group of pastors and leaders who are sitting in this room. We, we decided that we would take two months and just pray about what we had heard, that we would gather again. And I had been going around asking that magic wand question to a lot of different civic leaders. And people would always point me towards this one lady. She was the assistant city manager. Her name was Vicki Ryer. And Vicki would always tell me the same thing. She'd say, Dave, you know what you should do? Remember, I'm, we're in Colorado. So you know what you should do with all those people who show up to all those churches? When it snows, you should get them to shovel their neighbor's driveway. And she would say that, and like literally, like confession here, here's how I would think. I would just go, nope, that's not it. <laughs> like I wanted something sexy. Like I wanted to like take on a, like an issue that would like change, the, eradicate something off the face of the city. And so when the mayor said the neighboring thing, I just said, oh no, Vicky's got this. <laughs> and so we invite Vicky to come in. She comes into our next meeting and she just starts to share about the power and the value of literal neighboring. She talks about the fact that the crime rates are 80% less in neighborhoods where people know the first names of their neighbors. She shares with us all the stuff from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, that people live significantly longer when they're connected to their literal neighbors. And then she says this, and I think most of us in this room can appreciate this in light of what's happened over the last few weeks. She said, when there's a crisis, when there's a natural disaster, your neighbors are always your first responders because the systems are always overwhelmed. Amen? Right? But then she gets done sharing. And by the way, the whole time, all that stuff's gold. And we're just listening to her share. But the whole time, all we're thinking is, and Jesus said to do this. Right? And so then at the end, we're having this little Q&A time. And she looks at one of the pastors. She wasn't trying to be mean. She just like, made a statement that cut us to the core. And she said, she said, hey, you don't think that when, from where we sit and we look out across the face of our city, you, you don't think that we can tell a difference between the way Christians and non-Christians treat their literal neighbors, do you? And it felt so bad to hear somebody say that we started to argue. We were like, whoa, 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 time out, Vicky. And then we started to realize she's right. And, and I, I've shared that line in front of leaders from over 500 different cities. I've never once had a city leader come up to me and say, oh, Dave, guess what? In my city, the Christians are the best neighbors. It's not even close. And I think that's worth us like pausing and trying to like reconcile these two things. Number one, Jesus said, if you only do one thing, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. That everything in this book is summed up in that command. Okay, so we have that on one side. And then on this other side, that the Christians in our cities, in our country, that there's not a noticeable, distinguishable difference between how they and, and people who don't have faith treat their literal neighbors. Like, how do we reconcile those two things? When I started to think about how do we make sense of that, I started to get, like, really irritated and really mad. 
And I started to ask a, a, a question that really cut me to the core. It took all the anger and out of it. I started to ask this question. I wonder how you end up as a pastor who's not engaged in his own neighborhood. And I started to ask that question, and I started to, to go through. I started to read stories that I had done sermons on, that I had heard lots of sermons on, and, and I started to read different texts, and they started to take on a whole new light. One of those, in week one of this series, Josh shared about it's, it's found in Luke 10. This, this man comes to Jesus, and I'll read the, the, the text to you, and he says this, and let me just, let me say this, I think for, for me, I grew up in the church, and I, there's a lot of things that I've come to realize that I have became inoculated to. I heard it over and over and over again, and it lost, it lost some of its power because of me. And, um, and so these stories started to, to take on your life. So I want to invite you to look at this story like you've never read it before. And then we're going to ask a, a few questions about it and about a couple other texts. It's found in Luke 10, 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? This guy comes to Jesus, asks, Jesus does this a couple times throughout the Gospels. He asks a really straightforward question. Jesus gets the guy to actually answer his own question. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Think about how amazing this that is. But, but look, look right here at what happens in verse 29. This is the part that just came screaming off the page at me. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This guy comes, asks a very straightforward question, gets a very, and his first thought is this. I wonder if I can find a loophole. How do I get out of this? Jesus, neighbor, what, is that, what does that really mean? And look at what he does. He's looking, he's looking if there's a loophole in the way that he can define the word neighbor. He's saying to himself, I, I wonder if, we, if I can just define the word neighbor so that it most easily fits into the life that I'm already up to. That was 2,000 years ago, obviously, we have progressed. None of us would ever in a million years think to ourselves, I wonder if I can define the word neighbor so that it most easily fits in to the things that I prefer to do. You wanna know how you can become a pastor who's not engaged in his own neighborhood? All you gotta do is define the word neighbor so that it most easily fits into what you're already up to. Do you wanna know how on one hand, Jesus can say all the law rests on this and yet we're not known as the best neighbors in town? All we have to do all we have to do is define the word neighbor so that it most easily fits into what we're already up to. My friends and I, by the way, we're, as a group of pastors, started to look at this idea and to talk about my story was similar to most of the stories in that room. We started to think through, like, I wonder, 
I wonder what it would look like if we just could like unwind this a little bit. And, and all these pastors are just like you, they're really busy and they've got all kinds of things and the biggest temptation is like, I just, when I come home, like I just like, I feel like I just need a place to like take a deep breath and just be, and so there was a lot of resistance and we all kind of started to talk about it and all of these different things started coming into our minds about what, what this could look like and what it would cost. And we all shared a, a really similar story. And we started to talk and to think about how we actually got there. It was very similar to what happened to me. So here's, here's how I interpreted the, the story and this principle of neighboring for most of my life, right? So by the way, what happens in this story, if you remember from a few weeks ago, is Jesus responds to this guy's question. He's like, all right, you wanna play this game? You wanna play this game? You wanna try to find it? And he, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me tell you how I interpreted the Good Samaritan story for most of my life. I thought about that, that incredible parable and I said, you know what the main teaching is? It's that, that, and the main teaching, by the way, is whenever you care for the person in front of you, you're neighboring, you're being a neighbor to that person. And that's totally true. And then I, I drifted, I, did, I made a couple little mental gymnastics moves and got to a really interesting place. I read that text and I thought to myself, everyone's my neighbor. You like that? That's not what it says. It says, when you care for the person in front of you, you're being a neighbor to that person. But in my mind, it went to, everyone's my neighbor. And then check out this next little move. Okay, you ready for this? I just thought to myself, I'm doing a lot of good stuff. I'm kind of just neighboring all the time. <laughs> you like that? And that's how you can end up being in a place where you don't even know the names of the people who live right around you because you're neighboring all the time. I've come to learn that when everyone's our neighbor, often nobody is. And that there's great power in unraveling this and going back and, and just doing a few small things to right the ship. Every week we've been talking about this little block map, right? If you were here three weeks ago, you got a magnet, a refrigerator magnet. If you didn't get one of those, you weren't here, I'd encourage you to pick one up. This, this little tool here is like 100 times better than the book that my buddy and I wrote. This is the key to everything. This little bitty exercise that we've been doing over the last few weeks, it really does make a big difference. So I wanna do a pop quiz, okay? Here we go. If you were here three weeks ago, you've already heard this, or in the last couple of weeks, or if you're, if you're not, you can do this for the first time, but we're gonna do like an actual pop quiz. This is in your bulletin right now. You can just reach out in there and take it out. This little, it looks like a tic-tac-toe board. So here's your pop quiz. I want you right now to start, just write down the names of the adults, or kids, whatever you can do, in each of these eight households. Imagine you walk outside your front door of your house, your condo, your apartment, the eight closest units, and just write, just like write them down right now. Just like start putting them in there. If you don't have a pen, just kind of mentally put them in there right now. Don't put somebody that's like 15 houses away in here because it's gonna make you feel better. <laughs> don't, don't write down like annoying lady, okay? Like real, real people's names. Now I wanna ask you something. 
really important. How many of you, over the course of the last four weeks since we started talking with us, how many of you can now write in one name that you couldn't for, I want you to take your little, you know, just raise your hand. Keep it up there for a minute. Yes. It's a big deal. Way to go. This is a big, big deal. Like learning a name, in, in neighboring you get disproportionate results. You learn somebody's name and you retain it and you use it. That person goes from being a stranger to an acquaintance. This is like, we, this is, we all aspire to do certain things, but oftentimes our actions don't match up with the things that we, inspire, you know, that we aspire to do. And so, when you go and take one small step towards relationship, you've started the ball rolling. We, we've learned that, that when you learn somebody's name and you retain it, it's oftentimes it's like you're stepping on a moving sidewalk. It's one step and it starts to take you down this path. Here's what happened for me. My friends and I started this little tic-tac-toe board thing and my wife wrote it on a napkin and put it right up on my fridge. And I've got a lot of weird, unhealthy, competitive stuff inside of me and so I started looking. By the way, I could do two of these squares but I made a decision that I was gonna fill that in. And I'll take you down, like if you haven't had this moment yet and you're hearing this message, you're gonna have this in the next couple of weeks. Like I, like I remember like being in my driveway and I'm, one of my neighbors is mowing his lawn. And if you start to think about doing this, like when you have this moment, every excuse will come flying into your head. I thought to myself, number one, I can't go talk to him while he's mowing his lawn, that's weird. Number two, maybe I'll just stay in my yard and just wander around and make up something to do until, that's weird too, okay? So here, here's what I've learned about neighboring. You have to have the courage to lean into mildly awkward moments. And so I remember just taking like that first step, I remember walking down my driveway and walking over and he's like mowing his lawn and he's looking at me. He's like, you're not running, what are you doing? Why are, why are you walking towards me? <laughs> he lets go, he stops the lawnmower and I walk up. Hey, man. Uh, <laughs> this is really embarrassing. I've lived next to you now for 18 months. I've met you three times. I forgot your name. He was really gracious. We talked for only like 20 or 30 seconds. And I did something really important. I, I went back into my house. I got a pen and I just wrote this. I just wrote Matt and Jan right there on my fridge. There's all kinds of stuff on my fridge, it's just white noise, but for some reason, this wasn't. And after about six weeks, this whole thing was filled in. And these people that, that just used to be faces actually became like real people with real names and real stories, and they started to get inside my thoughts and my prayers. And it went from, hey man, to hey Matt, to hey Matt, um, like have you been able, like I live in Denver, remember, have you been able to like emotionally reconcile what happened in the Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, maybe for you it's gonna be like, hey man, our coach just quit in the middle of the year. Like, 
Oh, too soon? Um, too soon, sorry. And then it was like, hey, Matt, can you help me move this thing like 30 feet in my garage? To, hey, do you guys want to come over and watch the game? To sitting across a dining room table, talking about the things that like make us tick, the things that we love, the reason why he sees me every Sunday get in a car with my family and drive out to church. And that never happens. It never happens if you don't learn their name. So what we came to learn is that by, by learning, retaining, using people's names, and then asking this one dangerous question, God, what's the next small step you want me to take? God, what, what's the next small step? So once, once you have this thing filled in, just get in this habit of saying, God, what's the next small step? You know that couple you've been saying for like two years that, that you should have them over? Like, what if you actually had them over? What would it be like if the Christians in our cities were the best neighbors in town? What would it be like if we were the kinds of people that lived at depth with others? What would it be like if we lived at a pace in which we were actually interruptible? If we were actually present in our, our literal neighborhoods? Now, I, I want to say this, because in most rooms like this, when I start to talk about and share this story, there's a certain percentage of us that have, start having these thoughts. Dave, I actually spend more time at work than I do in my, my neighborhood. And so, like, what I'm doing with those work relationships, that's neighboring. Dave, like, I'm, you don't know what I'm up to. I'm investing in the lives uh, of these people, the parents on my kid's soccer team, my grandkid's soccer team, and that's a neighboring. I, I just got back from a medical missions trip where we were overseas, and that's a neighboring. And if you've had a thought like that since we've started talking, I want to tell you something. You're 100% right. Clearly, Jesus says all of that's neighboring. But here's the trick. All of that doesn't somehow magically make the people who sleep 40 feet away from you not your neighbors. And I lived most of my life like that was the case. And I'll just tell you this. I've started to learn that, that when you start basing relationships on proximity, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different ballgame. Most of my relationships throughout my entire life were all affinity-based relationships. I hung out with people because they were funny and they liked sports and we had things in common. You start to hang out with people based on proximity and, and you start to find yourself with people that you would never choose to be with. And you start to find yourself with people who, like, they don't even like sports. <laughs> and they know things they're like experts about things that, that you have real deficiencies in. They're in a different season of life. They think about the world and about God totally differently than you do. You know, for a lot of us, it's tempting to, to kind of end up in this Christian bubble. This is the antidote to that. This is part of the genius in taking this literally and seriously is that um, it's impossible to end up in a nice little bubble that's homogeneous if you do this. The, the text 
that's been the theme for this entire series is found in Acts. We'll go back and just look at it really quickly again. Acts 17, 26 and 27. Paul's he's sitting, um, he's sitting in Athens, right on this little hill, and he's talking to all these people. And he had been walking around that day, and he saw these idols. Greg talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's interesting to me, he doesn't like kick down all their idols and burn them in like a pile. He actually uses one of their idols as a bridge to Jesus. He says, hey, I saw that, saw that idol that you have to the unknown God. I want to tell you about the God who you do not yet know. And he gives this incredible sermon in Acts 17 on the character of God. Here's part of it. It says, from one man he, so God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. If you believe this text, it will totally ruin your life. It'll change the way you drive in and out of your neighborhood. You'll start to see that there's something sacred going on all around you. It'll start to change the people that you live around. It'll start to change you. I got into this thing, and this is going to be like the greatest evangelism thing ever. What I've really, it's the greatest discipleship tool ever. Like the way that it's changed myself, my family, the, the things in my life that it's brought up to the surface as I've started to learn. You know, the only thing I can compare to neighboring relationships are family relationships, because you don't choose those either. And I think sometimes that's why they're so powerful and so hard, right? It's because they're ser- you, you didn't choose these people. In, in those relationships, they, they surface things inside of us, both good and bad, that God uses in really significant ways. All of my neighbors don't want to be my friends. Like, I wish they did. I'm not best friends with all my neighbors. I'm not saying you have to be best friends with all your neighbors. I just wanted to share this with you, what I've learned. Some of my neighbors are dying for relationship. Some of them are just really busy. They just want to get home every day and get that garage door up and get their car in and get it down and, like, detox from their day and then do that over and over and over again. And I have a lot of grace for that because that's how I lived most of my life. But some of my neighbors are dying for relationships of depth. All they have is like their work relationships, which are pretty surfacey, and their family relationships, which are pretty dysfunctional. And, and so they just are dying for somebody. I was with one of my neighbors the other day, and I, we were just talking. I said, hey, man, what do you learn about parenting? And we talked for like 20 minutes, and he just looked at me and said, Dave, I don't talk like this with anyone. Would you be willing to, to just... Take the next small step. This right here, this is like a little parish for all of us. And it's really attainable. Like learning, retaining, and using a name is something that every one of us can do, and it doesn't cost a lot of money, and it's not going to take a ton of time. Beginning to, to just say, God, what's the next small step is really attainable. The, my biggest leadership lesson in this whole thing, my, my whole life people just said, Dave, you want to be a good leader, set the bar high. And that's probably true. There's a group of five or six of us and we were going to lead something and set the bar high. People come close to it, they get over it. We, we've now handed out 
190,000 of these things to people that have said that they will, they're willing to take the next small step. And what I've learned is this, if you wanna start a movement, the key is to set the bar so low that people are ashamed not to step over it. <laughs> okay, and that's what this is. So would you be willing to step over a really low bar with me? And here's, here's why I'm really excited and optimistic about what's happening here. The leadership here bleeds this. They really, really believe in this. And they believe that there would be great power in, in the people of Seacoast going out and starting to put some of this stuff into practice. So we're wrapping up a four-week series here today, but that's not the end of this idea of like literal neighboring. Okay, they're gonna bake this into the DNA of this church. We're gonna continue to talk about it and talk about stories of why this matters. And so I'm really excited to see what the impact is gonna be. I'll close with this. A friend of mine said, Dave, in this life, we can only do a few things really, really well. I think we would be wise to make sure that one of them is the thing that Jesus said matters most. Let's pray. God, thanks for making it really clear. God, thanks for, for giving us this incredible command that has the potential to do so much for us and for the people that live around us. God, give us a passion and a desire to take the great commandment literally and seriously. Help us to make the time to build relationships with the people that you've placed around us Give us the courage to live the kind of life that you want us to live. In your name, amen.